Good morning. Merry Christmas almost. Yeah, good to see y'all. Um, all right, well, as Christmas drew near in 1914, Europe was engulfed in the horrors of World War I. Uh, on December 7th of that year, Pope Benedict XV had suggested a temporary hiatus to the war for the celebration of Christmas, but the warring countries refused to create any official ceasefire. Uh, on Christmas, however, the soldiers in the trenches declared their own unofficial truce. So starting on Christmas Eve, many of the German and the British troops ceased their fighting and began singing Christmas carols to each other across the lines. At certain points, the Allied soldiers even heard brass bands joining the Germans in their joyous singing. Not sure where they brought the brass bands in from, but they did. Uh, and at first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches and approached the Allied lines across the no man's land, calling out Merry Christmas in English. At first, the Allied soldiers feared it was a trick, but seeing the German soldiers unarmed, they climbed out of their trenches and shook hands with their enemy. The men exchanged uh, presents of cigarettes and plum puddings. They sang carols and songs. Some Germans lit Christmas trees around the trenches. There was even, I was trying to picture that, they lit the Christmas trees? Um, I don't know, maybe they put candles in them. Um, but there was even a documented case of soldiers from opposing sides playing a good-natured game of soccer. Uh, um, I was amazed that they actually got pictures of this stuff too from back then. German Lieutenant uh, Kurt Zemisch recalled how marvelously wonder, wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it, too. He said, Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas is almost here. As we do most years, we've once again focused on the Advent themes of hope peace, and joy over the past three weeks. And now on this final Sunday of Advent, our theme is love. And there's something kind of wistful about that oft-told story of what happened in the trenches on Christmas of 1914. You know, it's a beautiful story about the spirit of Christmas, that desire for peace on earth, goodwill toward men, breaking out and bringing enemies together. But as we all know, it didn't last. The next day, all those soldiers went right back to killing each other. Which is why I think it matters that Advent isn't just about looking back and remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago, as important as the birth of Jesus, of course, was. Advent isn't just about some kind of short-term sentimentality as we pause from whatever it is we're doing and enjoy the warm, cozy feelings of Christmas. Advent is about looking forward to all that the birth of Jesus made possible. Advent's about looking forward to Jesus coming again and making all things right. And Advent's about our call, our empowerment as followers of Jesus to live our lives today and every day, not just at Christmas, with the same kind of love for others that Jesus revealed to us. So with all that in mind, today I'm going to talk about love. Are you ready? Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you for that gift of love, for, for Jesus himself coming into this world, being born as one of us so that we could know you and know your love and experience that and grow in it and live in it ourselves. And so I, I pray that today that you would just come by your spirit and, and do a work in us of deepening us in our ability both to receive and to give that love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read to you from uh, Gospel of Matthew, and this is chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. <clears throat> Well, as we often say here, it's a great practice when reading a passage like this to try and put yourself in the story, you know, to try and imagine what it would have been like to experience what's being described to us. So Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Back in first century Israel, women were pledged to be married when they were anywhere from 12 to 15 years old. Joseph, we're less sure about, but it was normal for Jewish men to get married by the time they were 16 or 17. So chances are, as we picture ourselves in this, you know, both Mary and Joseph were in their teens. That's what we if you imagine that. And when a man and woman in first century Israel were to be married, a betrothal contract was drawn up. The groom-to-be paid a bride price. He literally gave money to the woman's father, at which point the woman was considered pledged to be married to that man, which from a legal standpoint was essentially like being married. But the woman would continue to live in her father's home for another year, during which time she did not date her future husband, and certainly in that culture didn't have any kind of sexual relationship with him. So the passage I read begins sometime during that year following Mary being pledged to Joseph. You know, this probably then was a couple of teenagers going about their lives waiting to be married. And then Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now remember, that's Matthew, the gospel writer, uh, describing what happened when he's looking back on it from decades later. Joseph's initial response to the news was no doubt less religious sounding. Like, 
your what? Right? And Joseph must have really loved Mary. <clears throat> he knew he wasn't the father. You know, so it was fully within his rights. It was within his, in the cultural norms to publicly shame Mary for what to him must have been the only logical explanation that Mary had committed adultery. So Joseph was no doubt upset, he's confused, he's angry, but because he still loved Mary, he didn't want her to be hurt any more than necessary. So he decided to call off the marriage, which was considered getting a divorce when you were in this betrothal stage. But he would do it as quietly as possible to try and protect Mary as much as he could. And that would have been a pretty loving response to this whole mess on Joseph's part, right? I mean, it's fairly loving. He could have gone on with his life. He could have felt good about how he'd handled it. His family and friends probably would have applauded him for his loving kindness toward Mary. They would have assured him that he had done the right thing, even the godly thing. But God had a better idea. God was calling Joseph to something more. See, God had an opportunity for Joseph, an opportunity to pursue a whole new level of what love could look like. To love not just with whatever love Joseph was humanly capable of, but to love with God's love. And so God sent his angel into Joseph's dream to invite Joseph into that opportunity using those four dangerous words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Some 700 years earlier, King Ahaz of Judah was facing his own challenges. The Assyrian Empire had embarked upon an aggressive path of expansion under a new young emperor named Tiglath-Pileser III. Good name if you're looking for baby names. Kings of Israel and Aram, two kingdoms just north of Judah, had formed a pact to defend each other against the Assyrians, and they wanted Ahaz to join with them in that pact. Ahaz, however, was afraid of what might happen if they resisted the Assyrians, and afraid with good reason. You know, he thought it was a safer bet to simply submit to Assyrian rule and hope for the best. So Israel and Aram attacked Judah with the goal of getting rid of Ahaz and putting their own puppet king in place who would then join them in fighting Assyria. Talk about a political mess. Ahaz was panic-stricken in the face of this attack by Israel and Aram. But he was even more afraid of joining them against Assyria. If Israel and Aram defeated Judah, Ahaz would be killed. If Ahaz resisted Assyria and lost, as he was sure would happen, Ahaz would be killed then too. So those options didn't look real good. What's a king to do, right? So God sent the prophet Isaiah to speak the word of the Lord to Ahaz. And what was one of the first things that God had Isaiah say to Ahaz? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I ran across this story because one of the Old Testament lectionary readings for today comes from Isaiah 7. And that's where you find Isaiah's prophecy, which was quoted in Matthew's gospel that we just read. The prophecy about how the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son 
called Emmanuel, which was all fulfilled in Jesus. Well, that prophecy is set within the story of King Ahaz. As I read more about Ahaz and all that was going on in his world, I was struck by how even though it was totally different from what was going on with Joseph, it was in some ways very similar. Both men were facing daunting circumstances. Both men had good reason to be afraid. Both men had decided to take what appeared to be the safest option they could choose so as to protect themselves and their future. Ahaz would submit to Assyrian rule and Joseph would quietly divorce Mary and go on with his life. And to both men, God said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So what does any of this have to do with love? Well, the verse that kept running through my mind while I was thinking about all this comes from 1 John. It says, perfect love drives out fear. There's a connection between love and fear. Fear can keep us from loving well. You know, we can probably all think of times when we've experienced that. You know, maybe it's the fear of of opening up and being vulnerable about some struggle we're having. You know, that then limits our ability to grow in intimacy. Or it could be the reluctance to be generous with our time or our energy or our money, our talents, because we fear, you know, not having enough of any of that for ourselves. Or it could be as simple as, as not saying a kind word to someone because we're afraid of being un, you know, embarrassed, uncomfortable. Some of us here at the church have begun this kind of intensive discipleship process called faith walking. Uh, One of the goals of faith walking is to identify some of those things deep inside of us that have probably been there since childhood that keep us from loving well. And often those are fears of some type. So in my case, as I'm working through this process, we're just kind of getting into it, I've realized that you know, one of the fears I have is that what I have to offer won't be valued by other people, especially by my peers in ministry. And so at times what I do is I, I hold back from stepping out, you know, using my gifts, which is just another way of saying I hold back from loving well, right? But perfect love, God's love, casts out fear. It brings healing to the wounds within us which give rise to those fears and sets us free to grow in God's love. 1 John 4, 16-19 says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I suspect that when God says to anyone, do not be afraid, it's more of an invitation than a command. I mean, after all, when you're feeling afraid, 
How effective is it for someone to tell you to just stop being afraid? Does that work well for you? No. It's not like you can just turn the fear off, right? And I don't think God tends to waste his breath telling us things to do that we're not capable of doing. He doesn't do that. But God does invite us to stop being afraid. He invites us to receive his love, which, is, which he's pouring out on us all the time. You know, he invites us to live in his love. And his perfect love drives out fear. We can't just turn the fear off. But God's love can so fill us that there's no room for fear. So God says you can stop living in fear if you want to. And the way to do it is to receive my love. Isn't it interesting that in both the story of Ahaz and the story of Joseph, where God tells them to not be afraid, in both stories, God is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. God's presence, God's love was there with Ahaz. And God's love and God's presence was there with Joseph. If only they would open their lives to it and receive Ahaz didn't do it. He allowed his fear to control his life instead. So he ended up surrendering to the Assyrians, becoming their vassal. And he saved his skin by doing it. They didn't kill him. But it diminished his life and it opened the door to chaos and destruction for the people he was supposed to be ruling over with God's love. That's what fear does. Joseph, on the other hand, listened to God. He trusted God. He received God's love. Now, now chances are, Joseph didn't totally stop feeling afraid, right? He knew that if he stayed with Mary, everyone was going to assume that the baby was his. And in that very traditional conservative culture, tongues were going to wag, his reputation would be damaged, probably even his carpentry business would suffer. And that angel that came to Joseph spoke to him in a dream while he was sleeping. I mean, Joseph was human. He must have wondered at least a little bit if that dream was really God or not. You know, maybe, maybe it was just the result of something he ate. He didn't know. So Joseph probably still felt some fear about everything. But he didn't let the fear shape his life. Joseph trusted his God. He put himself in a place of depending on God's love, which is a powerful way to receive God's love. You receive God's love because you're counting on it. You're not leaving yourself another option. And that makes perfect sense to do if we really believe that our God is Emmanuel, that he's God with us. So God's love overpowered Joseph's fear. It drove out that fear, probably not meaning that Joseph never felt afraid, but that fear didn't control his life. Joseph stayed with Mary. He was a father to Jesus as if Jesus was his own son. And Joseph loved them with God's love. So Jesus is inviting us to be like Joseph. Trust Emmanuel and love with God's love. As John wrote, we know and rely on, or in other words, we put ourselves in a place of depending upon, with no other options, the love 
that God has for us. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. And why can we do that? Because John says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. In other words, Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. We're not doing this on our own. God has poured the Holy Spirit into us. His love flows through us. So the more we depend on God's love, the more we experience his love, and the more his perfect love will drive out that fear. And the more then we can love with God's love. So trust Emmanuel and love with God's love. You know, one day Jesus is going to return and all things will be made new. The entire cosmos will be saturated with God's love so that fear is totally banished. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to begin living like that now. So I want to take a few moments and just give you some space to listen to Jesus about how this invitation might apply to you personally. You know, we believe God's here with us, right? He really is Emmanuel. Amen? Yeah. His Holy Spirit dwells in each of us, and and when we gather together like this for worship in some mysterious way that we don't fully understand, God's present with us in an even greater way. And our God loves us. So it only makes sense that he would talk to us in a way that we can hear. He speaks to us through the scriptures when we're reading or when we're listening to the Bible, but he also very often speaks to us in our thoughts through words or phrases that come to mind when we take the time to listen. And they seem like our own thoughts, so people don't always realize it's God speaking. But if you're asking God a question and a thought drops into your head, there's a good chance that's God speaking to you, right? Good chance. So we're going to ask Jesus a question this morning and take a moment to be quiet and listen. So you might want to close your eyes just to shut out distractions. So Jesus, now would you show each of us a particular area in which you want us to trust you as Emmanuel? Would you show us a particular area you want us to depend on your love so that fear can be driven out and we can grow in loving with your love. Now, where and what way do you want me to depend on your love? Sometimes when I ask a question and listen like that, I feel like I get, you know, something drops in my head right away, and I just know. And other times, I get nothing. Um, But over the days and weeks ahead, as I kind of hold that question up, I realize, oh, I do know what he's saying to me. It just kind of comes to me over time. So either way, so if you heard something right away, that's great. If you didn't, just kind of hold it up before God. Keep it there over the, the week and... See what what you end up realizing you 
have heard over time. Trust Emmanuel, love with God's love.